Okay. I'll do it. I just. Hello, out there in radio land. Can you hear me? Can... Yes. Hello. Whoa, yeah. Oliver, where are you guys? We are on the beach near uh, where you are. <laughs> I'm going through a technical liquid state right now. I'm hoping I can handle this. And Chloe? Yeah. Can I get some, some sound out of your machine? It's not, uh, thank you. Oliver, would you say it again? Yeah, we are at the beach near where you are. <laughs> okay. Just a, just a bit south, like half an hour walking maybe. Well, the difference is we're buried in fog and you guys have a blue sky with clouds. Ah, crazy, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can actually see the fog over there. <laughs> Don't let it come any closer. Keep it back. That's, that's where you are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, well, we're coming to you tomorrow. Yay. Great. Michelle, you're, how's it going over in your department? In it's great. We're still feeling the vibrations of the expand the box. And we had a local possibility team last night here. Wow. We, yes, wow. there's a lot of us and we continue to build possibilities around their own projects. Yeah, it's beautiful. Sounds great. It was incredible, beautiful, powerful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Phyllis. What, how come your hair is so blonde? Uh, bats. <laughs> bats. Can you say more about that? No. <laughs> Thank you. No, my hair is blonde because I've just been navigating the rivers of, of the Grand Canyon, of billions, millions and billions of year old rock that, that is fluted in, with artistry and um, yes, and learning and loving being, not having any electronics for 24 days. It was like, it was so free, it was like being, being in the presence and then and then learning how to navigate the river, like actually row rapids was like filling my body with presence. Every single cell of my body had to be present. So yes, that's what I've been doing for the last number of weeks. And it's very weird to be back. Don't back come with, back. Don't do it. Don't. <laughs> Don't come back. <laughs> yeah, I'm still, my body is still kind of adjusting to the realities of this life. Mm. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Living yeah, in but it really, it really gives a perspective on human life because we are just a grain of sand on the beach compared to what 
what was in what was in my sight every single day. Yeah. Wow. It was very cool. Wow. Thank you. Welcome back. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, Phyllis. We can't wait to hear your next adventure. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, Lucia. Rock. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Portugal. Hi. I've heard of that place. How did you hear about us? It all started with Vera Franco in Finthorn. That sounds like a great beginning to a romance novel. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to hear from you. Meet me. <laughs> Hello, Julian. How's the UK? I'm not in the UK at the moment. I'm staying with Joanna Cruz in Qashqais. Wow. <clears throat> we are coming up with extraordinary questions to ask each other. We sat on the beach and have made a list of questions for intimacy journey. This sounds fantastic. Those questions are really valuable. So, so keep them somewhere, all right? How's the Possibilica headquarters Portugal doing? Amazing. We're managing Wait, you have to turn the sound on or something. No, we have to shout through you. Okay. That's how we hear you. You're managing what? We're letting people in. We're also in the space. We're doing it all at once. You have to say something. I have. You have to shout because the microphone is to pick up all that. I have no idea who is sitting here called Sofia Magdalena because. I just came out of my first practice, practice expand box, with, which ended yesterday. And well, there's people went liquid, people went with the things happening. I went liquid. I am still liquid, and things are changing over here in this physical body called Sophia Magdalena. Thank you. <clears throat> Somebody else want to say something out there? Somebody would like to check in for a second. Go ahead, Ingrid. I want to check in. Um, I. Uh, I, I try not to smile since almost two weeks, just to, just to get more distinction who is smiling when or who wants to smile. And um, what I notice with how you said, Clinton, last time, the, the crystalline box of my husband, I, I, I notice now that I, I'm more able to recognize also in him who is doing what? So, so I, I, it's easier for me to recognize when he, when, when his gremlin really tries to hook me. And uh, I try with black holes. Uh, sometimes I really, yeah, it's better. And sometimes I get hooked. Uh, and uh, yeah, and and every time I get hooked, I try 
not to make uh, any low drama so don't no uh, no self accusation and uh, yeah it it feels okay what can i say i feel i feel glad i feel glad about this distinction i feel also a lot of sadness it's, it's emotional sadness yeah about the long period with gremlin wars really i'm really sad about that and i noticed that i have a lot of difficulties with anger I'm, my smiling is very often hiding anger mm. to 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 do like to do like i'm not angry and it, it's it's really i'm i'm the habit was to hide before myself that I'm angry. And so I, I see, the, I'm glad because I see something is changing for me. My husband is very often angry about me because I think that is really his gremlin because he noticed that I'm less hooked and his gremlin becomes angry and he tries his gremlin. It's, oh, it's really... And it's a, it's a good, it's a good um, exercise of consciousness. A good dojo for practice. Yes, it is. Okay, thank you for reporting in. Thank you. Thank you for your courage and your, your kind of, it's like a discipline <clears throat> for a yes. while. It's to make this distinction in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, discipline is a good word, exactly. I feel it like that. It's a training and discipline. For mm -hmm. me. Keep in mind, however, that it's possible that life is also meant to be enjoyed. So I hope you're figuring out some additional ways to have a good time. I'm working on that. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, hey, Jeff, where are you guys calling in from? Hello, we are in Redondo Beach, California. No way. That's where I went to high school. No uh, way. Yeah. We're here. I'm a, a body surfer from Redondo Beach, man. Do you know Daryl Smith or Mike <laughs> Smith? or that's my Those are my uncles. Wow. So, <laughs> Troy grew up here his whole life and his whole family wow. is... I actually, actually, Phyllis is from there too, nearby, uh, yeah. in West Hollywood, North Hollywood. Um, but uh, no, I was I was up in more on the peninsula, up on oh. the hills. So. Well, anyway, so we're we are mid uh, master cleanse, a ten day lemon, cayenne pepper, and maple syrup mm -hmm. diet. Day three, and well, it's. 10 days plus or minus seven days. We're not sure yet. <laughs> um, and uh, we we actually had a spontaneous possibility space last night. And that's why I can't speak because the space guided us into dragon speaking. And um, it was really powerful. We, uh, yeah. And uh, also we've been using Keon's um, 
possibility of, of navigating each of the five bodies with the four feelings and some, some very extraordinary um, outputs from that experience. Fantastic, wow. Great, well, thank you, Redondo Beach. <laughs> yeah, right. Great, great. Well, the, this thing that you were talking about, you called it dragon speaking. I happen to have on my computer screen here, the, that map, the map of the five speaking, it's on page 171. It's kind of where we are in the book right now. So, I mean, it's a bizarre consideration to think that there's different sorts of speaking. And because in the same way with listening, you would think that since you have ears, you can hear. Well, you think you have a mouth, you can speak. And yet when you, when you distinguish five different kinds of speaking, it opens up whole new categories of ways to relate with each other. And you can identify what space you're in, and then you can have in mind what other spaces are possible. And so I'd like to just review those with you guys. I'm going to try to do a screen share here for a second, and just so you can see what I'm talking about here. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Hold on a second. I think if I do that and do this, I get it. So maybe you can see this. Uh, it shows. Can you guys see it? All right. So it just says normal neurotic speaking <clears throat> that you could just call babble or gossip or arguing or complaining, giving excuses, just chatter, background noise. It's when you're, when you're doing that kind of speaking, the other person isn't really, it isn't for them. It is not for the other person. It's actually for you. And if you, if you make this distinction called normal neurotic speaking, you'll, you'll, and walk around in your life, you'll notice how often and how popular this style of speaking is. <clears throat> for many people, it may be the most popular kind of speaking they do essentially all day long. And uh, it, it is not a very big conduit for exchange of nutritious food. It's kind of basically junk food. And then so, so, and then the second category here is discussion. Now the thing is discussion can either revert to normal neurotic speaking or discussion can go to the next kind, which is adult speaking. And so it's, it's valuable. I found it valuable when I go into a group of people or a meeting, for example, to quickly assess whether this is going to be, this, is it going, this kind of discussion, is it going to turn in, is it going to be normal neurotic speaking, for example, a meeting where the quote unquote leader has set up a quote unquote agenda for which he's or she, but probably he has already made the decisions. <clears throat> so it's not really, it's not a discussion at all. It's just a, 
report on what the quote unquote leader has already decided. So that, and then I just say, well, look, send me an email and I walk out and uh, save my time. So that's when a, a discussion reverts to normal neurotic speaking. But if you didn't know that, then you have to submit yourself to a discussion thinking it might be useful. And in some cases it is because when it goes to the adult speaking, this is the authentic communication. It's, it's the beginning of responsibility, beginning of responsible communication, responsible sharing, making agreements, giving instructions or directions, you know, sharing information and plans. And so this adult speaking number three is, is the basis of creating possibility, processes, chair work, that kind of thing. And then, so, but the thing is that in order to do adult speaking, you have to find some way into the, into the adult ego state, and which is, which is a big deal. Um, and it's, it's, it's a big deal because far more than we ever suspected, the adult ego state, we contaminate it as a child. We contaminate it as, as a strategy for survival. We contaminate it with our adult with our gremlin ego state or with a child ego state or with a parent ego state. So this ego state simply means a, a package of ideas, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that we think of as true or, or a, a complete set. So when our adult ego state gets contaminated with the child ego state, then we interact with a person as if thinking that we're an adult, but in fact, we have this child posture, this child voice, these child attitudes, this child in, childish interaction. And since it's been integrated like that since childhood, it's become normal for us. And it's simply a, a survival strategy. It's a simple way for you to avoid taking responsibility or being responsible in the relationship. You, you expect somebody to take care of you. You, you being adaptive, you look around at authority figures, give your center away. And this is the child ego state uh, contaminating the adult ego state. And so there's this whole procedure for decontaminating the adult ego state so that you can have an adult ego state. So for example, if your adult ego state is contaminated 30% with your child ego state, you don't get to be an adult. You end up being... 70% adult, but 30% child. It's possible to have another 30 or 40% of your adult ego state contaminated with your gremlin ego state. So then you have only 30% adult and 70% of your, what you think of as your presence as an adult is, has been sacrificed to a survival strategy that definitely works, but does not allow you to be adult. So it's expensive until you get 18 years old at the time you can start to decontaminate. And the procedure for decontaminating, I'm, say, I'm saying this now because it's not in the book. It's something we've really figured out in the last couple of years and recently really this year a lot. The procedure is, is to take one behavior, one behavior of the contamination. For example, like I mentioned, the child ego state in the adult ego state, take for example, the way you hold your head. So for it's, it's, it's a, a childish way to hold your head is maybe a side or a little askew. And, and 
you, you, you focus on one behavior and put that behavior into the child ego state back and then it will stay there for about three seconds. You let go, pops back and your head's over here again. You're doing this nice adaptive smiley face thing again. You go, okay, put that, put your head straight up. I'm in the present, I'm grounded, centered, put that over there it, and hold it there. Stays for about 20 seconds, pops back again. And that's the work. And you keep doing it till it stays for an hour, stays for a day. If it will stay there for a couple of days, it's time for the next behavior. And the next behavior might be the smiley face. The next behavior might be giving your authority away to somebody else who, who could conceivably be perceived as an adult, or I mean, excuse me, as an authority figure. And then it's their problem. So, and the same procedure works for decontaminating your gremlin ego state from your adult ego state or the, the parent ego state, which is this critical, judgmental, good, bad, right, wrong, criticism, sort of voices uh, ego state. Ha entering the adult ego state gives you access to a whole three or four additional forms of speaking that are extraordinary. And so there are a couple of them mentioned right here on this map. I just wanna mention uh, possibility speaking is this ability to speak about more than you know. Now you might think that a lot of people do that already. They speak about more than they know. But what I'm, what I'm saying is you can access the bright principle of possibility. I'm using this little arrow now and it's like, here's the listener over here on, on the right side. And here's you all of a sudden in the other diagrams, you were a person here, you are a space. And actually this diagram is incomplete. If you could imagine it being the mouthpiece of a tube that goes off to the left here, it's a tube and it's jacked into the bright principle of possibility. So that actually the bright principle speaks through you into the, the authentic necessity of the person who you're speaking to. Clearly this is speaking for them. You're doing this as a service for them. Whereas an adult speaking, you're communicating back and forth. So you're speaking for us. The, the possibility speaking is a way that they have a necessity, a request, an authentic request, and you choose to provide a possibility for them. And you speak before you think, actually. You just start speaking. It's a fantastic experience. And it's a huge resource that human beings are designed for that we have not been trained to use in school or any place else. So this is a uh, uh, fantastic uh, um, set of uh, possibilities. I can't use them. You have this as an opportunity and I think you've done it, like we already do possibility speaking unconsciously. So for example, I say, I say, no, I need to know what your day is like. What was your day like? And you start and you open up and you tap into the shadow principle of blaming. And then you start blaming your boss and blaming the neighbors and blaming your kids and blaming God and blaming life and blaming the, the cornflakes in the morning that are stale and et cetera. And, and then we're really creative, very exceptionally creative in delivering the communication endlessly to the, anybody who will listen to us 
from this shadow principle. Well, we can do the same thing from a bright principle and that's, and you can tap into the bright principle of possibility. So not on this map, I'm not gonna talk about discovery speaking, but I, wanted, I do wanna talk about what Jeff mentioned was this dragon speaking, which is an additional kind of speaking, which is it's similar in some ways to possibility speaking, except that you tap into your conscious use of anger. You tap into anger and in anger, I'm gonna flip out of the share mode here. And in anger, uh, you actually tap into the, the conscious experience of anger because anger supplies this clarity of your sort of clarity. And, and the anger, when you tap into your anger, you don't have the anger except that you care about something. So the anger is telling you what you care about. And when you, when you let your, the heart, your heart, the angry part of your heart that cares about something speak out and fill up the space with what needs to be said and you don't stop for three minutes, five minutes, it isn't, a, it, this is not a discussion, it's not a conversation. It's a kind of a download. It's kind of a, it's a, you fill up the space with clarity and possibility that comes, that's sourced from what you're committed to, what you take a stand for, what you're here for, what's important to you, what matters to you, what you, what you will accomplish, what you're going to do. And, and the, this is dragon speaking. Not long ago, well, actually a year more, more than two years ago now. Uh, and Chloe and I were in a big festival in Portugal called Boom Festival. We, we had a tent full of a couple hundred people and we practiced with them uh, through a series of exercises. And we got to the point where they were in groups of three, two people were listeners and one person got to do dragon speaking. And we keep hearing even today, we hear from people who remembered that experience of getting to be in a safe space. Thor was there, he just said that. It gets to be in a safe space where somebody's actually giving them credibility, listening to them, holding space for them to do dragon speaking. It could be the first time in a person's life when that they got to speak with, with um with passion about what really matters to them and have somebody listen. So it's a fantastic thing to do in a workshop, in a training space. And Chloe, are you gonna say something? Yeah, and um, I mean, there's some form of speaking, like the possibility speaking, but in the dragon speaking and also the discovery are transformational type of speaking. And so I remember in maybe February 2000, 19 i did a dragon speaking about building a trainer path can you guys hear her okay okay i'm gonna try I'm, i did a dragon speaking about building a trainer path and i had no idea how to do it but it was part of my transformation to take a stand in front of a bunch of trainers say i'm going to build a trainer path and and so there's this force in dragon speaking that also changes your shape and the universe hears it and, and things happen. 
I want to repeat the last thing that she said. It has to do with when you're doing dragon speaking, the thing, the thing that gets spoken changes the shape of your being. The fact that it gets heard, the fact that you're taking a stand for it in the world changes the shape of your being. And it, it, what that, when you change your shape, it forces the universe to flow around you in a different way, to flow energy, resources, uh, know-how, um, connections, resource, like resources. They all flow differently around you after you commit, after you take a stand. And so dragon speaking is like that. What she said was simply that she did this for the trainer path and within a few months there existed a trainer path in the world. She completely redesigned the possibility management game world so that a trainer path existed. And now we've taken one more step with that, as you know, and created the possibilitator training in the same kind of way. We finally got pissed off enough to do dragon speaking and commit to the so that there could be this possibility of, of possibilitator training and we're just so excited about it. Bear. I want to add something. Yeah, Is you have that, to shout. Yeah. You don't need to know what you're going to say when you start dragon speaking. Just if you know, then your mind has already conceived of it. And it's something that is basically okay for your box. If your mind can think about it and remember it. And if it's okay for your box, then it, it could have already happened or it is already happening or so dragon speaking is something else where something else is speaking and really it's surprising what comes out is surprising and so if you're at a moment in your life where you're just god like what's next or what what am i really doing here or i it just then ask for in your possibility team or in a rage club or uh, even in the three cell, just say, I, I, I need to do dragon speaking. And it's going to sound, and in, the, in the beginning, you won't be able to do it, really. And so you need the coaching of your team to say, okay, that was real, and that was fake. That was from your mind, and that was the real, that was the real energy. Okay, follow that. And then it, will, it really feels like going crazy, because it's taking a stand. Like, it's like, really, it's something that will be bigger than you. And so I remember doing that also in the train of path gathering and Sophia Megan and I was there, we were in Portugal and it, and people went crazy about the kind of, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, and, and half like, it's like half of it, we really did. And half of it, we didn't, but half of it, we really did. And, and so it doesn't matter if it's not like, like absolutely true or or certain or but it's the it's a step in the process of like Clinton was saying changing the shape of the being for these things to start happening so don't try to figure that thing out if you are going to do it here's a a fun experiment you can if you find somebody around you that you could do this with do dragon speaking to them about how much you love them. And it, it's what a fun thing to do. You know, the, I mean, 
the problem for me is that, you know, every two weeks or so, somebody I know says, could you do dragon speaking about how much you love me again? <laughs> well, okay, sure, yes. Because <clears throat> the resource is unlimited. And if you're doing this experiment to never ever say the same thing that you said before in the same way, and you can say, I love you, but okay. So how, do you, how do you say I love you the million and seventh different way? Well, it's totally possible. It's totally there. There are, there are infinite numbers of ways. And dragon speaking is this fantastic way. Now, so if it's late at night or something, you don't have to wake up your neighbors with shouting, you know, jumping up and down on the couch and shouting it out to the world. But hey, why not? I mean, people do that about, you know, how they hate each other. So you can do it about how much you love each other. So this, this is, um, don't be surprised if you find yourself doing something like this soon because we've mentioned it, because just because we've mentioned it, it is now an option for you to choose from. So here we go. You have a new option to choose from. So are there any questions about those, any comments or anybody have anything about those multiple kinds of speaking? I want to share that we actually, we just did a form of not, not, we didn't call it dragon speaking, but we did the speaking from anger and connecting to with what you really want and what's important for you and what you want to take a stand for in the community here in Servio, where Mark and I am for um, four or five days. And it, we were only four people doing this thing, but it was a really, for me, it was a really beautiful um, space and experience. And I held space for that. And it was a real honor to witness people coming a little bit more into that power, even though there was, yeah, even though there's way more possible, of course, but just to, 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 to sense the taste of that to to have them sense the taste of of their dragon or of their what they care about thank you sounds great <laughs> any uh Hannes, go ahead yeah i have a question is there also um uh, possible uh, not possibility is there also a way of doing dragon speaking with either bright principles or shadow principles yes that's what we talked about that already okay. what's your question okay. what is your okay question? then i then i just missed it sorry mm -hmm. okay yeah i mean what i'm saying is mm. most of our lives if people are shouting or yelling at each mm. other they're doing okay. dragon speaking mm -hmm. in the service of shadow principles. Okay. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm better than you. You know, I know mm. you don't know. Um, all those kinds of shadow principles, mm -hmm. revenge, getting revenge, all that. So, so we, we, these are talents that are built into us, but we mostly use them unconsciously. And so the, 
what we're doing in possibility management, a lot of the times is simply taking a potential capacity uh, human beings have and making it uh, uh, conscious, making it a choice, redirecting it for something interesting and useful. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Great. I mean, the last part of the, the section there says, do not expect to suddenly be able to do uh, dragon speaking, for example, or possibility speaking, or based on what we just did right now, based on the map. Developing these skills usually requires demonstration, so you can see it, and guided practice, such as possibility team or, or some, you know, some teamwork expand the box training, something like that. But go ahead and start experimenting without requiring yourself to fully understand it, without demanding that you do it perfectly. Adult speaking, possibility speaking, discovery speaking are all natural human capabilities. It can be inspiring to recognize that there are levels of relationship and communication that can be explained or engaged in, but that you cannot wrap your mind around. Try to get, it's inspiring that you cannot wrap your mind around it. You know, we've been trained in school that if you do not understand, you are a failure. And, and that limits uh, uh, the domains in which we can function to only those that we can wrap our mind around. Well, how big's your mind and how big is the universe? So, do you, you know, if you want to limit yourself to the little prison of your mind, go ahead. There's nothing, there's no law against it. However, you have the capacity to tap into much vaster resources. The only caveat is that you don't get to understand it all. You can use it and you can, you can create with it. You can power yourself with it you can you can surf on it and it doesn't it doesn't submit itself to simple understanding so when you encounter something for example discovery speaking or possibility speaking for example or, or dragon speaking those things all have a vastness that's larger than the mind and 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 if you try to put the technology, you know, the procedure through the meat grinder of your mind, what you get is hamburger. You do not get possibility speaking or dragon speaking. So uh, they're, they're natural human capabilities. And then you can let it try to try to let it be inspiring to you that you cannot wrap your mind around it. then you realize that there are greater subtleties and levels and dimensions of communication to experiment with than you may ever have suspected. As with the different kinds of listening, each of the, of the kinds of speaking also becomes a tool. So we have these kinds of listening and these kinds of speaking, they all become tools for you. You have, instead of just kind of an undefined area of interaction called listening and speaking, you have all these tools to use. And, and sometimes 
they apply and sometimes they do not. But when, when the tool applies and you use it, it's essentially like magic. It's essentially transformational, so easeful. And then you just put your tool back and stay present and go for the next thing. So, so yeah, so in the moment, it becomes a tool that in the moment that you name it clearly and use the tool on purpose, you, you, have, you can produce unexpected results, results beyond what you could uh, um, create before. Your, your competence will come through attentive, persistent practice. Have you ever heard that before? So I'm sure, I'm sure the guy who wrote the book will say it again, but the thing about practice is that, so that's why I'm so excited when, when you guys tell me that you're in little groups, that you're practicing, that you're trying experiments. This is the cutting edge. This is where things evolve. You throw yourself into the frying pan and cook yourselves in this in, in soup. If you ever cook soup in a frying pan and, and you come out cooked, you, you produce something different. And that development, like you're putting yourself into your own kind of pressure cooker, builds matrix, holds more distinctions through practice. You know, I've basically been on this path of learning things the long, hard, slow way. So, but then they invented this thing called a pressure cooker. And so when you do it together in a group, you're essentially pressure cooking yourself a little bit. You're moving at the maximum speed of evolution by doing the experiments. And your life can be wake up in the morning experiment and then, after, and then you go to sleep and then you wake up the next morning, you experiment. And you know, most people in the world, they wake up in the morning and do the same thing they did the day before five days a week, you know, three, you know, 50 weeks a year, and this is their life. And so in a way you're escaping that by experimenting. So even if you are from the outside, getting on the same bus to go to the same bus stop and get off and go to the same building and work for the same team, you can, you can do it in a different way. You can be a different person each day that you're off to doing what looks like the same thing, but it doesn't have to show up for you as the same thing because each day you're doing a different set of experiments. So the people around you will get used to it after a while. They won't be able to put you in a box. And so, you know, there's certain people in your world who will like it when you are, cannot be put in a box and other people will not like it. And so the people who don't like it, you just let it be their problem. And you just, you can just keep going forward. Good, anything else right now from anybody? About anything? Jeff, what are you laughing about, man? There's a lot. There's a lot. Well, come on, tell us one. Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna navigate to the edge of my fear here, and and I want to say that Jacqueline, who's on this call, is Emma's mom, and we were with her for two days, and we went very liquid together. And now she's here, and I'm. I feel a lot, a lot of joy about it. You know what? 
I want to hear her side of the story. Jacqueline, what really happened? Come on. What really happened is that we had an amazing experience together and um, I'm thrilled to have met Jeff. I had never met him before. And uh, yeah, my world expanded in the first hour I met him. So thank you. Um, and thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm happy to be here. Well, you're welcome, Jacqueline. It's nice to thank see you. Thank you. Jacqueline, we usually interrogate people who come for the first time about who they really are. So could you just tell us for a couple of minutes who you really are? Um, I'm a mom. <laughs> um, I'm an immigrant. Um, I'm a, um, that's my hardworking person uh, trying to figure out an easier way to uh, to maneuver through life. Uh, been stuck in the doing the same thing seven days a week, 365 days a year. So, yeah, what else do you wanna know? I wanna know if you're gonna accept my invitation to go to a website called spaceport.mystrikingly.com. It's called spaceport.mystrikingly, M-Y at strikingly, S-T-R, a stupid name, but anyway, that's what it's called. spaceport.mystrikingly.com. Okay. It's an alphabetical listing of several hundred links. It's an alphabet with logos. And if you scan through there, see if you can pick out a couple of other identities for yourself that would be a little more inspiring to you than mom and immigrant. I mean, how many, how many more kids do you have after Emma? One more. How old is that one? 24. 54? 24. Uh, okay. Just checking. I mean, there's a lot of wild stuff going on. <laughs> so, so it's probably, for example, time for you to do your mother graduation party. So there's a website called Mother Graduation. You can put write that down and go check it out because you can shift back to your real identity, you know, you can start over, you, you can drop the, the title mom because your job title is, it's finished, it's over. You can let go of that one. And, and it scares the shit out of people because they don't know what else they can shift into. Well, we made this website, it has two or 300 more identities that you can choose from, like edge worker or rift walker, you know, or, or uh, uh, agent of, no, person of agency or possibility coach. I mean, there's so many options to choose from in there. So, and so, and the thing about immigrant, where did you went from where to where? Um, I was born in Cuba and I came to the States in, um, on a boat in 1980 um, to South Florida. Did so. you leave South Florida yet? I did and um, went to uh, New Jersey for about 20 years and now I'm back in Central Florida. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, so 
I'm just inviting you to check out. So, but next week, mm-hmm. when you check in, please tell us at least two. Yeah, a pirate. <laughs> Jacqueline might be a pirate. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Give us at least two other identities that you've decided to expand into besides mom and immigrant. Okay. Okay. Well, then. All right. That's yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Anything from anybody else? right now. Yeah, Hannes? The reason that a father graduation party um, link is missing. Yes. Okay. Uh, It has to do with the question of what is a man? Okay especially when somebody's born and raised in the patriarchy. So really for uh, a father to graduate from being a father and become a man would be requiring, would be requiring a process of going back through the eye of the needle, which means uh, exiting the patriarchy going back to through the eye of the needle to basically the, the shape we were in when we were a baby and starting over again to reclaim our original mission in life, our, our original bright principles you know, and, and start over again into rapid, rapidly evolving as a, a, a man in next culture, essentially, the culture that comes after patriarchy. So I don't think that, I think it's really quite difficult for a man in the patriarchy to actually be a father. I think he's usually a patriarch rather than a father. And so uh, he, he never was a father to become, to graduate from. Whereas a mother, in terms of giving birth and nursing and caring for babies and children, uh, is, is a mother. It's, there's, no, there's no real escape from that. I mean, you can go to childcare and you can, et cetera, et cetera, try to uh, avoid your responsibilities. But the father is usually off at work somewhere, out with the boys somewhere, something like that. So it's a big question. You're asking a big okay. question. But yes, that's the reason. I, I raised two kids without the mother, so it's always a subject. I'm uh, what's uh, what's my role as a father and not being a patriarch? Yeah, how old are your, are the children? Uh, they were four and five when their mother died. And they How old are, are they now? How old are they now? They are 21 and 19. So it would be about time to yeah. switch back to Hannes, Hannes Neuolm, rather than uh, dad. 
and you can you can read through the instructions and see if that can if you can do something like that. Hmm. That's the subject of the last month I'm going through in my sabbatical. Well, let us know how it goes. Let us hmm. know if you have this ceremony. Hmm. It's a formal okay. ceremony. It's a formal ceremony without your children. Yeah, with other okay. parents. Yeah, thank you. So I really encourage people to do that because there's a whole life ahead after doing the parenting thing. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it leads right into the next section of the book. It's on page 173 called Centering. I will start reading. We have two kinds of a center. We have a physical center, which is located as our center of balance. It's like the thing that we're, where we would balance if you lean across a chair, the back of a chair or something. It's located directly between your hip bones, halfway back in your body. The location of your physical center is fixed. It won't be moving around. So you also have an energetic center, a center of being, which starts out about the size of a grapefruit and which is mobile. So in Western civilization, we've been trained to keep our energetic center located in a particular place in your body. Where is that? book actually says that. It says, where is it? And expects the, the reader to answer the question. So the author is listening. Okay. Where do you keep your center? It's in your head. We've been trained to keep our center in our head. Yes. For the most part, we are not aware of what we are doing with our, cent our energetic center. I'm going to be calling it the energetic center. We are not aware of what we're doing with it. However, Outside of our awareness, we still move our energetic center around for various purposes. One particularly effective yet insidious use of moving your energetic center around is a box survival strategy called being adaptive. You can energetically disempower yourself around whoever you perceive as an authority figure or an enemy, whatever, you can, you can disempower yourself around them by giving your energetic center to them. You give your energetic center to them, away to them. And, and then you are no longer a threat to them. By giving your center away to an authority figure around you, you are no longer a threat to them they no longer have to kill you. When you give your center away, you are also arranging to be no longer responsible. You're trying to be no longer responsible, no longer capable of creating, no longer able to make decisions, no longer able to ask dangerous questions, and no longer able to take the initiative to change things. You put the authority figure on an untouchable pedestal and establish yourself as their follower. In modern culture, 
there's there's almost no word for uh, anything to replace leader, for example. It's either you're a leader or you're nothing. So there's these schools of inspiration trying to make you a, a, a rapid leader, uh, agile leader, a uh, transformational leader, some kind of leader, it's still leader. And if you have leaders, you will have followers. It's set up like that. You don't get, how can you be a leader if there's no followers? So the leader follower paradigm is a fundamental concept from modern, from the patriarchy. It's a hierarchical structure paradigm. And if you read the last spark that we sent out, spark 121, it'll give you a wake up call about the whole hierarchical paradigm, basically saying any hierarchy that you are in, you made it yourself through exactly this survival strategy, giving your center away, your authority away to somebody that you have labeled as an authority figure so that you can get revenge, you can do payback time. So it's, it's, it's a wake up call to look at this. So when you put the authority figure on an untouchable pedestal and then you establish yourself as their follower, there was a question. A, who's got the question? Stephanie. Stephanie, speak out, go ahead. Um, when, when you started this as it was uh, responding to Han's question, yeah. something really came to mind for me that um, the earlier part mentioned how the physical center is fairly fixed, but when thinking about the physicality of becoming a mother and the, how the actual carrying of a child would actually physically move the center and that perhaps that has something to do with how that energetic center also gets transferred onto the child as a sort of authority figure that that might tie into the whole idea of why the mother graduation is more specific um, because, because of things like that that happen in the the physical process of being the mother and then translate from the physical changes to those energetic changes. And that's a really big thing to be able to kind of take back and reclaim. And it's, it's, it just isn't something that physically happens um, and contributes to that in, in many of the same ways with the, with the father. Thank you. Thank you. And I keep reading here, wherever or whenever you give your center way, you have a behavior, a certain kind of behavior when you give your center away and you act out this behavior adapted as being adaptive and, and you inescapably create ordinary human relationship that way. You inescapably create ordinary human relationship, which is what we were working on in the whole first part of the book. Low drama, victimhood, you know, competition, superiority, uh, inferiority, manipulation, control, all of these kind of ordinary relationship things come. It's inescapable. That's the only path you have when you give your center away. It's just mechanical. It's really mechanical. Kian, God, it's smoky over there. What's going on? 
<laughs> yes, uh, it's uh, my camera actually. There's a lot of dust in the, in the lens. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I I wrestle with this with with what I hear you saying that um, any kind of hierarchy is self-made, or I'm I'm I object I not not object, but I I wonder I wonder about that because. What about like development hierarchies that there, there's like a natural order of development from the seed to the tree, for example, that they're like things that follow the other and are kind of more developed than the thing before or in a sense. And what about like competence hierarchies where, where you agree to see someone as more capable of handling a situation and so you listen to the person, what, what he has to offer as, as knowledge and wisdom and kind of um, take his authority there and, and try it out for yourself in that way. And, and can yeah. you even listen to some, yeah, okay. So Kian, here's the question. Why, why are you framing it up as hierarchy? It, what I'm saying is it's a thinking habit. It's a, it's a, you're putting a frame around a thing that does not exist in reality. So because there's other frames you could put around and this could be your experiment next week is figuring out other frames you could put around those relationships. Because you can use a framework of collaboration, for example. In every single example you gave, it's a, the, there's an um, exchange of value in both directions. We talked about this actually somewhat last week. You know, for example, you know, I'm not in this call space because I'm higher up in a hierarchy than other people. I'm in this call space because I get fed by getting to be in a transformational study space with other edge workers, genius edge workers like you guys. So, and I hope, I mean, my hope is that when, once you get how valuable this is, and it's already happened, once you get how valuable it is to come together in a regular weekly study space in the, for the purpose of collaboration, like what we have here, that you will create also collaborative study group spaces that are extraordinary in your life for, for the rest of your life maybe and you'll teach other people how to do it and so this has nothing to do with there's no hierarchy involved here at all and and yet at the same time if you want to you could make a hierarchy between you and and the bananas because the banana a bunch of bananas have, have very identical personalities that each one is valuable. Whereas you, you only have a good personality and a bunch of bad personalities that you beat yourself up with. And so there's a hierarchy that the banana is higher up than you are. Because do you get what I'm saying? You can concoct a conceptual hierarchy out of anything for any reason you want and hypnotize yourself into thinking it has some kind of you know, truth. So um, calling 
So, so I encourage you and, and anyone to do the experiment of investigating what's behind the, what, what value do you get by forcing your different relationships into a quote unquote hierarchical pattern or imagination in your mind that you think it's that way. And then you could easily discover that actually you have a giant gremlin who loves giving your center away because then you can blame other people and attack them for not being responsible for you. And you get tons of uh, gremlin food in your everyday ongoing relationships with those people who are closest to you. That you could be exchanging uh, love and, and ecstatic co-creation together. Instead, you're playing low drama, hierarchical power games. Does that make any sense? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, what what comes to me is um, that I get power that my gremlin is trying to get dude, power through the dude, concept of. Dude, we're going to ask you to dig a little deeper. All right. You got a whole week, spend the week, do some, do some dirty work, read Spark 121, do all those experiments, really get on your hands and knees and go for it. Cause this is, this is pay dirt for you. You will have a different life after you get this. Okay. Thank it's you. fabulous to live in a world free of hierarchy. It's fabulous. Okay, you do it. it. I will do that, yes. Yeah another revolutionary has been liberated <laughs> thank you yeah thank you anything else about this right now well i just want to say about the seed and the sprout and the like why is it not transformation happening like I, that could very well be seen as transformation instead of hierarchy. See? I mean, it's like the tree can make the seed is higher in the hierarchy because it has all the information in a tiny little place and the tree is so big. The seed could think the tree is in a hierarchy higher because it gets access to light and the seed is in the dark. And yeah, well, and the seed has more mobility and the tree can't go anywhere. There you go. It's a hierarchy of mobility, man. You look on the streets in the town, all these people are trying to be high up in the hierarchy of mobility, thinking their lives mean something because they can go somewhere. With a car. <clears throat> in a car. <laughs> they're driving around thinking their life has meaning because they're going somewhere. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you, Kian. All right. Here we go. So, so what? So by arranging to have yourself give your center way and being adaptive, you you inescapably create ordinary human relationship. Ordinary. It is important that to learn about your center, your, your energetic center and your physical center and the difference and what you're doing with your energetic center because uh, in, if you wish to enliven extraordinary human relationship, you cannot be giving your center away, period. 
And so it's an entirely, it's an entirely, it's about, there's, we have this great website called authority, authority.mystrikingly.com. And the authority website has, it's, it's a lot of ways to reclaim your authority, stand in your authority. One of which, one of the ways is to keep your center and not give it away. But there's so many other ways that are, are go along with it. Because if you give your authority away, give your center away, it's going to be ordinary human relationship. And so one of the first practices for you to develop is to refuse to give your center away, your energetic center. Please note, no one can take your center away. There are people in professions of authority, like a hierarchy, who, who may have the habit of giving you strong invitation for you to give them your center. For example, a doctor. A doctor will expect you to give your center away to the doctor or a lawyer, a politician, a policeman, a, comp a competitor, a boss, a, a condo salesperson, a mother-in-law. The mother-in-law will expect you to give your center away. Or, or even a child can expect you to give your center away to them. Even your dog will expect you to give your center away to them. So you have to question yourself to what degree other people's expectations shape your life. That's an excellent introspective question. To what degree other people's expectations shape your life? To what degree do you adapt or bend over towards, you know, bow down to other people's expectations? You know, the thing about expectations is anybody can have an expectation about anything. There's just, you know, I could expect, I could expect Santa Claus to come to the door right now and bring me a fruitcake. And, and then I'd be disappointed if he doesn't because he's sleeping for the summer, except that in South it's winter. So, so the thing is with the expectations, if I give my center way to please other people, to make other people not be upset or not feel some sad or angry or scared, or to, if I give my center way so that, so, so that to please them, so that I'm, uh, because certain people might surround themselves with quote unquote eggshells. We talked about that last week, or have too much fear. Some people have too much fear of being present to enter spaces without dominating this space with their loud commanding voice and implied threats or hysterical rants about unsolvable problems. There's people who walk into a space and hysterically rant about unsolvable problems to avoid being present in the space with the other people who are there. Does anybody know anybody like that? Come in with loud noises, complaints, rants, yeah, it's just out of fear. It's mostly out of fear uh, of being present. They might smother spaces, they just smother this space with normal neurotic babbling and try to force you to abandon your center and give it to them. 
and you might indeed give them your center, but no one can take your center away from you. If no one can take your center away, why would you ever give your center away to anyone? And the answer is really simple, because it's easier. You think it's gonna make you safe. So someone else will take care of you or people will not react or people will not have to you know, push against you or fight. It's easier if you give your center away, you think. It's, it's extremely expensive, but you, you think if you can avoid responsibility or avoid making a decision and facing the consequences of your decision, or maybe you, you do it to protect yourself from being blamed if something goes wrong or to avoid the quote unquote horrible consequences of a confrontation. That's why you might wanna be giving your center away. If you give the authority figure your center, you are no longer dangerous to them and they do not have to crush you. You know, if you, if you don't give your center away to them, you know, you've seen what happens, you know, they, what they do is they fire you or demote you or belittle you or blackmail you or tease you. So by giving your center away, you can stay in an abusive environment and your box will be safe. Anybody remember doing that? Being adaptive and then being able to stay in an abusive environment? Yeah. Yeah, and then you survive. So this is all survival strategy stuff that could vanish when you're 18 years old. Because if you are in survival, you're not getting to live. There's this whole entire other domain called living that doesn't happen when you're surviving, when you're busy surviving. Why would someone else want you to give them your center? What, so what this is saying is if any time you give your center away, it isn't that somebody took it away, you gave it away. If somebody else has your center, you put it over there. Why would someone else want you to give them your center? Interestingly enough, for the same reason, safety. When someone collects other people's centers, he or she surrounds themselves with followers. With only followers around, no one represents a serious threat. Has anybody ever been on a team like that where everybody's a follower and the authority figure is safe? Yeah. I can't think of anything more boring. Anyway, so when someone collects people's centers, they surround themselves with followers. With only followers around, no one represents a serious threat. The authority figure then feels safe. The only price the authority figure pays is enduring day in and day out ordinary human relationship. If they know of no alternative to ordinary human relationship, if they long for nothing deeper, ordinary human relationship is not too high a price to pay for the illusion of feeling safe. But you, you may be longing for extraordinary human relationship or even archetypal relationship. This means there is no way around learning what you are doing with your center. Extraordinary human relationship only becomes possible when you place your being, your energetic center on your physical center 
and be centered. You actually locate your energetic center with your attention and then use your intention to move your energetic center to your physical center. And all of a sudden you can drop a grounding cord from your center then down to the middle of the earth and have this experience of being centered. We were just, uh, we had the pleasure today of listening to a story from Brian, who's sitting over there on the couch at the Possibilica headquarters, who came back from, a, uh, was it your first day of surfing? Yes. First day, we're on the coast here in Portugal, and she went out for her first day of surfing, and she was, she would not stand still. She was jumping up and down, and they were talking about how the way they would surf is they get on the surfboard with their energetic center on their physical center and then have a connection to the middle of the earth. And it was miraculous. They could just stand on the surfboard and wave after wave after wave, just keep surfing the waves because they were centered and grounded. And <laughs> Can I add something? Go. About the part that you were saying before of to really yeah really shop about how we also might take other people's center to feel safe and something that I realized recently is for example I realized that I take other people's center that that not that I take but that I receive them giving them their center when I feel responsible for them, when I have this sense, God, I said something, like, I need to take care of this. I need to make sure they make the right choice. I need to give them the right information so that they make the right choice or they make the choice that works best for them or sensing being responsible for other people. Like what, and I sense that I was responsible for others. Then they gave me their center away and I took it. And so, and I think that's something that is more subtle. It's not like I'm a leader, you know, I'm, I'm the chief, I'm the boss, which is often the vision that we have of people who would actually receive people's center. But this thing of being this responsible victim or this rescuer of everybody is exactly the same as just taking other people's center who willingly give it to, give it to you, yeah. Yeah, thank you taking care of somebody else. Yeah. I would like to ask a question. Um, I heard you say in one of the early calls that I listened to the recordings that you shifted kind of from the guru model to more to the team model. And I'd be interested to hear you speak a bit about the guru disciple relationship and how you see that on kind of giving giving your center away because I've been in that also and it felt like somehow totally in a way giving my center away and on the other hand it was also empowering I'm kind of wondering what's actually happening there that question would be too useful to answer I would encourage you to keep questioning along those lines and investigating It's not, I would be doing the question a dishonor by trying to answer that question. It's a really personal question. Yes. Yeah, I totally feel that. Thank you. Yeah, great. 
I think it's an important question, but it's so important that really people need to answer that one themselves in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I will investigate. Yeah, you know, modern culture started 6,000 years ago. The patriarchal empire started 6,000 years ago and eliminated authentic adulthood initiatory processes back then. So essentially, what you have is adolescence or children, adolescence, uninitiated adolescence in older people's bodies. And so an adolescent needs an authority figure to locate themselves or as a resistance to build up their level of responsibility, like a jungle gym of resistance, like it needs a framework from an authority to build up resistance. That's how we build responsibility muscles. And so it makes sense that the, that the, the guru thing for the last 6,000 years has been important. And so, because essentially not, people are not initiated so that it's needed to have a daddy or a mommy holding space like that. Makes yes. sense, yeah. yeah. You know, on the other hand, to pretend, you know, to assume that you can hack your own path through the evolution of consciousness with effectiveness could be naive. You know, so that's why, that's why we work in teams. That's why we share, that's why it's a custom that the people, it's a tradition in archiarchy that people who have hacked further into the domains of, of awareness share their stuff. It's not copyrighted, you know, it's not held back, whatever it's not, but it's shared and it's, people are supporting each other and we work in teams and that's why it works like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So it says right here, extraordinary human relationship only becomes possible when you place your energetic center on your physical center and be centered. Being centered, you can then ground yourself with two flat feet on the floor and a direct energetic connection from your center, your energetic center to the center of the earth. This is called your grounding cord. As the Tibetan master Chogyam Trungpa used to say, you are now on the spot. And on the spot has this subtle uh, meaning in English. On the spot means you are responsible. You are, you are unavoidably responsible. You are on the spot means that you've been, it's like the spotlight is on you. It's focused on you. You cannot be invisible that way. So uh, you're committed, you're at risk, you're participating, you're capable of being present and attentive, making contact with other human beings and animals and trees and Gaia and your bright principles and your archetypal lineage, etc. And you can actually say hello to 
whomever you are being with. Hello with full presence and connection in a small now. You can actually connect. By placing your energetic center on your physical center, you may interact with conditions and situations more productively than you would when you're not centered. The entirety of being centered includes positioning your energetic center on your physical center. So this is what I was just starting to say. There's a first position as a possibilitator, a first position, just like in ballet. You know, in ballet you enter, or in fencing, it's this on guard, on guard position. Or in karate, or in judo, in jujitsu, in kung fu, and like everything has its first position. So this is first position as a possibilitator goes like this. You have your energetic center on your physical center. You minimize your now so that your experience of now is very small and minimize your here so that your here includes the present conditions. For most of us, being centered is a rare to non-existent experience. When centered, we enter a state of calm receptivity and equilibrium in which our attention is no longer directed to meet the expectations that other people have about us. It is a condition of being simply yourself. If you ever do have this experience, it feels like you enter a completely different world, a new world. The world is extraordinary human relationship and being centered is a gateway for entering that world. How do you learn to put your center of your center of your energetic center on your physical center? How do you learn this? First, you must be able to place your attention on your energetic center to find out where it is. Then with your intention, you move your energetic center to your physical center and split your attention enough to monitor your energetic center so that it stays on your physical center even when your husband or boss or child bursts into your room demanding your attention. You do not give your center to them. They burst into the room and when you feel like it, you look over there and see what's going on, but you do not give your center away. Finding your energetic center is one thing. Keeping your center is another level entirely. It's called being unhookable. That's the thing called being unhookable, keeping your energetic center. Finding and keeping your, your energetic center both require or at least deserve years of practice. For me, it's just basically never ends. The practice never ends, just goes on and on and you just keep developing it. Keeping your center does not mean being belligerent. It doesn't mean being stubborn, heavy, or insensitive, although, or inattentive, although it may sometimes appear this way. You know, if, the, if people burst into your room and go, nah, 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 and, and you say, I'll be with you in a minute, and, you, and it might, they might think that you're being insensitive to them. So it may look that way. So keeping your center does not mean not getting out of the way, being resistant to or ignoring signs, although it may sometimes involve these things. So, you know, 
if a car is coming down the road, you get out of the way. And it's not like you keep your center and go, well, I'm not ready to move yet. You know, you move. So keeping your center means that when you respond, you respond by choice, not by being adaptive. So I'll read this last thing here about centering. It's called a centering experiment. Can I say something? Yeah. I mean, I think my own experience with starting to be centered was that people were shocked that I would not go along with their victim stories. And I think that's the main thing when people think you're insensitive or uh, indifferent, or I don't know what else you said, but it's this also having this distinct, the, the distinction of the low drama and the victim story in me. I don't, I don't play, I don't, I don't believe you. I'm not gonna pity you or, or gossip with you or blame the other person with you. And, and I refuse, refuse to give my sense away to your victim story. And that, so I think that's also where people come with this of being indifferent or being insensitive. Well, let me ask you this. What if somebody likes you because you used to give your center away to their victim story? What if that's why they like hanging around you is because you would, you would participate in, you would agree with it. You would essentially um, surrender yourself to their victim story. What do you do? Get new friends. Get new friends. <laughs> Get better friends. <laughs> better friends. Is that why you got so many friends on the couch over there with you? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you have amazing friends on the couch with you? Okay. <laughs> and Chloe, could you speak more about what you do when people do give you a victim story? Well, there's a lot of different things to do and it depends, I think, a lot on the agreement that you have with them. So, for example, I was just thinking today I went to the university of values where we are delivering the courses and having this conversation about how the space is gonna be. And, um, and then I was having this question while we're having this conversation of, okay, did I give my center away to them? And then what I thought about it is, okay, they have a context and I was negotiating our context in their context because it's their house. And what I, my purpose was to appreciate them for holding space for such an amazing physical location where we can do trainings for 50 people. And so, and so it, appreciating somebody, I mean, you can give your center away and be in this appreciation, but I was conscious of my purpose of, I'm here so that they know we gotta take care of their space and to appreciate them. So that's, um, that's one way it was, that was my conversation. So I was having a conversation and they weren't particularly having a victim conversation, but I was still keeping my center about what is the conversation I want to have with them and not going to, but it, it can be really uh, making a boundary, having a meta conversation saying, uh, you know, it can be like say, wow, this is, this is a fascinating, this is, you know, and, Mm. and say, well, look at you, you get to tell your story for three minutes. So this is negotiating intimacy. You get to tell your story for three minutes and then I get to tell my story for three minutes. 
and then you get to to tell whatever story you want and it, having this negotiating intimacy in that way is a form of meta conversation well they'll realize three minutes you know what do i like what do i really want to do with three minutes it is it kind of has this wake-up call and yeah i mean really going non-linear or yeah or being a you know really as a complete experiment like being a, a possibility listening space but i think for example phyllis that you've probably done that a lot in terms of being a listening space for other people's victim story so it's like okay you've done that experiment so there's other experiments to try but i'm, I'm saying that because there might be people saying you know their thing or their gremlin is well i don't want to listen to that or listen to me or and so an interesting experiment for their box would be to be a listening space. So it, it, for me, it's like, what is at the edge of your box? Like what, and just choose one. Like I give you five or six, but just choose one experiment that you do for an entire week. And it might feel like a little unnatural because you're just doing it again and again, but you're doing it with other new people. And you'll and you'll have different results. I mean, for example, you can carry around your your beat book, and when somebody it's instant they start doing a a uh, a victim conversation. You open up your beat book and go, I I I have a rule. I I listen to three victim conversations a week. And I'm sorry, but I'm I'm booked out. I, I fulfilled my quota already this week. So if you can't have a different kind of conversation, you have to book me for next week. You want me to put you down for an appointment? So you know, you, there's really clear things you can do like that. And it, what can they do? You know, what can you get? You get to go find the next conversation, or they shift like that. But you, we get to we get to make we get to have our life. We get to have our life kind of any way we want it. And so the thing is, do you know what you want? Well, I think as I hear both of you speak, I think that the best thing that I could do is, is um, try and transform it into something different. Okay, but you know, so find out. Go ahead. Which one are you going to try? Like, what's your experience for this week? Like, and pick, pick just one. What I've done in the past is possibilities. And that doesn't always, that isn't always helpful because some people want to stay in their victim story. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is almost aggressive. It's almost violent because you don't have an agreement with them that they, they want your possibilities. Yeah. Okay, so that was the past. Yeah. Um, possibly asking what is it that you want out of this situation? Well, then you're a victim of what, what they want. My question for you is, what do you want? Create it the way you want it. You know, if you ask somebody, what do you want? 
from the situation, you're a doormat. You're just a garbage can for emotional blah, blah. And, and create it the way you want it. But then you first need to know what you want. You know, once we get in touch with our anger, we can say, no, I don't want that. And I think you have that. And then are we willing to use that? And, and you might end up going through a whole day and saying, no, 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 to 10 different people or three different people. And then you're left with, okay, where, who, who can I, you know, what can I, where are my people or where, like that. And so then you get out one of those lanterns and you put a hood on and you go around through the town with the lantern, go, where are my people? Where are my people? And you hold the lantern up and look in their faces. I mean, essentially that, essentially you're making offers to create what you want rather than trying to be adaptive to try to fit in or manipulate other people. I mean, my, my thing about saying no, 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 is at some point, then there would be a yes. There needs to be a yes. Otherwise, I mean, it's like you're stuck. You're stuck in a, a bunch of closed doors. And, and, that, and the yes is about what do you want? And so, I, I don't know, you could do the experiments of saying no, or, or you, I mean, or another thing is try to create the conversation that you want, build the conversation that you want, and then, and then they get to say yes or no. Instead of even you saying no, in a way, it's like you, you're still a victim of their offer. I have a possibility. Right, hold on, Jeff. I see your hand. Just a second. Yeah. And, Don't forget. And so it's this thing of okay, I want to I want to try meta conversation for an entire week, or I want to try negotiating intimacy for an entire week, or uh, I want to uh, try to uh, you know make boundaries uh, and and pull people into another space, like going non-linear for for an entire week. But just pick one. Don't do all of them. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to offer a possibility to Phyllis. Would you like to hear it? Yes, please. Yeah, so I heard you say that you wanted to ask what they wanted to get from it. And the possibility is you can negotiate a situation where they tell you what they want, you tell them what you want, and then you can negotiate to what you're actually going to do now that you both have said what you want. And I, and I, I, my sense is that just that is already more extraordinary than whatever bullshit you're going to be in before. Uh, a hint about that is to avoid compromise. It's a common thing in the, what we think of as negotiating is to say, well, okay, I give up this and you can give up that. And then neither one of us get what we want. And so the, the proposal here is to, is to negotiate it so that both people get what they want. Yes, and this and that. It's not a compromise deal where neither one gets what they want. It's like, how do we create this? So I get what I want, you get what you want. Let's get let's get inventive. Let's go nonlinear. Let's 
let's create let's in let's create it let's you know call in nonlinear forces so that we can we're human beings you know we get access to this yeah, rather, than, yeah, rather than shutting down a conversation uh that is about complaining or whatever you know i would like to transform it i you know i don't want to say no you I know what that means what that means is you're a trainer because the deal with a trainer is that there's a contract. You make a deal, people participate with you because they want to transform. It's an agreement. If you do not have the agreement beforehand that somebody is coming to you to transform, nobody, you can't do it because transformation includes groundlessness. It includes the unknown. It includes the liquid state. It includes bottomlessness. And so people need to want the bottomlessness to go through transformation. If you wanna deliver transformation, that's called being a trainer. It's just one of, the, one of the specialties as a possibilitator. But you can't, you know, it's a kind of forceful manipulation to pull the rug out from under somebody you're with and transform them when they don't want that. It's in a way abusive or it's in a way power gamer, it's, it's, uh, it's unlawful. You need the agreement for transformation. You know, I, I used to be in these other trainings back in the 90s where people would come in and think they want transformation and we would hammer them into mush. And then if something sprouted out of the mush, we would call it transformation. But it was, we, we, it was not, we were not able to negotiate. I don't think it was successful. It was not a, a, a successful strategy to cause transformation without the other person's permission. So, but if somebody comes to you and says, I want transformation, you're a coach, you're a trainer. You're causing transformation for people. Hold on, Hannes, hold on a minute. There's something about that that's not real life conversation. It might be in this space, but it's, and it's not in a regular conversation. Well, do you want transformation? I... Okay, but why would you enter ordinary conversations? Does that please you? No, you know, it doesn't. Why would you do it? It seems to me that it's about it's about entering a conversation and then together creating something different. And so it, okay. I'm I'm still it, asking you. I'm, I'm repeating what Anne Chloe said that you have the option to make the first invitation for the context of the conversation. You can make the offer for extraordinary conversation. You don't, it's not necessary that you wait around and see what other people are offering. Create your own restaurant, serve up your own menu, make your own offer first. Okay. Otherwise you're a scavenger, you know, going around looking at the scraps of the world, you know, the dregs of the ordinary conversations that people are offering, seeing if you can maybe find something that interests you, but that's very different from establish, 
establishing the opening scene of a conversation space, a conversation space. It, it's a fun set of skills to learn. You don't ever have to leave that once you, once you engage that. Really, I know people who spend their day only in, essentially only in extraordinary conversations. Even, but then even with the lady at the grocery store, it's, and, the, and the openings are very simple. You know, uh, I decided to pay with, with money today instead of back rubs. Today I'm paying with my groceries with, because there would be a hell of a lot of back rubs, but I'm a really good back rubber. You know, it's just a completely un, unexpected, extraordinary opening. I never used that one before, but now I can't because I already used it. So I have to think of something else next time. But the world, the world can, can, the world can become a playground rather than like a minefield. <laughs> okay, I'll ponder that one. No, forget it. Just, I mean, you know, try it. <laughs> okay, uh, the couple people had their hands up. Jeff, were you first or Hannes first or what? Uh, I want to uh, give an example of what transformation um, or just become aware of that transformation maybe is a point really to change a conversation that's annoying. I have an example. My son was here for two days and he asked me for uh, whether he can use my bike. And my experience over the last years was that whenever one of my kids used my bike, it was something was broken afterwards. So I start to say no. I try to, to say, to, to do a border and say no, out of my experience, I don't want to have this behavior like it was the last years. It, work, it worked for one day, it worked for two days, but on the third day, my son came again and said, but please, daddy, let me go only. And I haven't been able for a long time to ride a bike. So, um, and what, what Clinton said about the transformation now makes clear for me that I wanted to stop this behavior that was going on and I wanted to stop the discussion, but my son was not willing to go into transformation. And I wanted to transform something, but I didn't have the tool. I didn't know about what I was doing the stop for. I said the stop for with a, with a willing to, to cha change something, to do transformation, but I was not aware about. And um, I, I have no solution for this now, but now I become aware of what my intention was by saying stop. I wanted to go into transform something, stop these annoying conversations. Thank you. Jeff, are you gonna say something? And then Stephanie? It was, it was the possibility for Phyllis, but I do wanna say that we started the conversation with the grocery lady by saying we're anti-baggers. 
So we also didn't have masks on and it was, it worked really well. <laughs> Anti-baggers. <laughs> okay, thank you. Stephanie. Uh, yeah, so this is interesting for me because I'm, I'm working on something similar um, as to what Phyllis is too. And I've been spending a lot of time lately observing the victim stories uh, going on with people around me and also ones that I've noticed that I, I'm trying to catch my own and try to transform them as I go. Um, but I'm having this in my, in my household right now. I mentioned something a week or two about our flea situation. And now the, my housemates uh, are both very entrenched in their victim stories about one another to where they're both pretty much ready to burn the house down. Um, and I'm trying to think of better questions also when I'm getting pulled into it. And so just that one that was said there was um, like, what do you want? But that kind of leaves it in their court. If the question is maybe more like, how can I help you with that? Then if they have an answer, then you could accept it or not accept it. Um, I feel like that's a little bit more responsible or um, even just a question if they're really just in a complaining state of like, are you, are you just needing to have somebody hear you right now, which might suggest maybe completion loops could be helpful, or um, are, are you just needing to have somebody hear you right now, or is there some kind of help that you would like in this, or would you, know, would you like me to participate in any way? I think just trying maybe some other questions to ask for more clarity that, um, that you can then you know, further respond to if they give you an answer of some kind of whether or not you want to accept their, what, what they might ask for. Thank you. Thank you, I really like that response. Stephanie, you get the prize. The Phyllis Prize. It's good. It's worth it. But that was good. Maybe you get to go on the next kayaking trip with me. No fleas in a kayak. Okay, we we're we're coming into the last stretch here. It did uh, I can offer you this experiment. It's pretty straightforward. If you want to practice more about centering, it says you are left with the sophisticated and utterly simple task of discovering how to be yourself, which means being centered, and still be in relationship, which is what Phyllis is kind of talking about. How do you be yourself and be in relationship? How can you be yourself and be in relationship? So, and how to be in relationship and not give your center away. So it says it's utterly simple and straightforward, but it's not, it's not the easiest thing. So you, you now have all the intellectual clarity you can possibly get to do this. And this is as far as a book can take you with learning to be centered. From here on, it is your job to proceed beyond merely thinking about the practice of centering. It is time to put your body on the line. Many of the Asian martial arts include centering as one of their core skills. <clears throat> I, <su> <clears throat> <excuse me> suggest that you can find yourself a local Aikido class with 
a, uh, what do they call it? Sensei, with a sensei who practices in the original form of, of Aikido developed by Morihai Ueshiba Sensei. So you, you need to find the kind of Aikido that's from the master, not from the a, a evolutionary version. There's a lot. Some quote unquote teachers have taken it upon themselves to quote unquote modernize the traditional form of Aikido. I suggest that you avoid working with these senseis, those teachers. Attend one or two dojo classes each week for six months to a year. Be sure to get yourself a wooden practice sword called a boken and attend Aikido sword work and jo, which is this wooden stick. It's called a jo. It's like a walking stick. They use it as a, a weapon. And so use particularly boken and jo classes as part of your centering lessons. The sword work is elegant food for your archetypal warrior or warrioress and an exact metaphor for your sword of clarity that is naturally required in establishing and navigating extraordinary human and archetypal relationships. And while you are at it, while you're at it, watch The Last Samurai Film with Ken Watanabe. What a king in Koyuki, what a lover. And Tom Cruise, what a warrior. Learn, learning to center is magnificent relationship training. That's the experiment. God, you guys on the couch, you guys are really fans. We should, yeah. you know what, you know, in the next, so let me tell you a couple of things. To, uh, Wednesday, which is day after tomorrow, we start a five day expand the box training here. And then the next week we have a five day possibility lab in which we will have 30 Boken and we'll be doing sword work outside. 34, 34 swords. We have 34 of these wooden swords and we'll be practicing. And then the week after that is a intimacy journey or lab. And we'll probably be using swords too because intimacy is quite refined. And then, so what I'm saying is, is every, every week we've arranged Monday and Tuesday to be off. So we will be continuing study group for the next five weeks of, of horrendously transformational uh, training spaces. So every Monday night we will have our study group because you might be doing everything else, but if you're not studying, you're not studying. <laughs> what can I say? So any, anything, anything else before we wrap it up? Anybody want to say or ask any last things? Yeah, I, I, mean, hmm. I mean, let me just, I mean, Phyllis, you just did an adventure and, and it's not time to stop. And so this is this adventure time and just design your next adventure with the experiments. There's, there's so many alternatives to try and the universe gives us uh, option, let's see, invitation after invitation or opportunity after opportunity to experiment. 
to, to use the practices. Go ahead. I mean, I say that to you first because you, you made yourself vulnerable by asking that question, you know, and, and it's serving really, I think, a lot of us. And I think there's two part to this is, is this thing about finding the people that you want to hang out with, like the finding the people that feeds you and ignite you. And, and I think we can't do that alone. Like to really be in groups of people that ignite us is so magical. And, and so there's this thing about, you know, go do what you want and you'll find the people who ignite you on that path. It's sort of like, you kind of have to do the first step, maybe quarter, a little bit alone. And then really not, not so long after that, I think there'll be people walking with you, you know, and I see, and I say that literally or energetically, but it's like, go do what you want. And, and then the people are there, you know, and, and that's the thing about what do you want? And the other part is, like grieving or like saying goodbye to your home and saying goodbye to your friends or people that you've considered friends for a long time. And right now you're kind of at a crossroad. And I think if you can't say goodbye to that, then it pulls you back. It's like a elastic on your center and it pulls you back in. And maybe that's why you back, you back home after that first adventure because you haven't really said like really kind of even formally even formally saying okay that was a chapter of my life and it's kind of like a mother graduation but it's a something else graduation it's a death and resurrection show yeah yes and Yes. And the path is not clear on where to go. What I'm saying is maybe because you didn't say goodbye. I'm saying I think there's going to be a leap of faith somewhere that needs to be taken. And I mean, this is kind of a little like it's radical, but it's like what you have is what you want. So you, and there's a part of you that does not want the clarity, that does not, does not want the, the path to be there yet. And it could be, okay, why not? And one thing that comes up for me is then this having not said goodbye or completed something in this life and sort of grabbing, like still holding on to like little parts of this old Phyllis that has changed for the past two, like two and a half years or three years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it was evident because I didn't really want to come home. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm getting this picture of walking backwards because if I don't know what I want, I can still keep my feet moving. And then I'll be walking in a way backwards because I'm not walking towards what I think that I want. I'm just walking somewhere. But if I, if I stop moving my feet, it's over. You know, I'm stuck there. 
but even if I don't see where I'm going or know where I'm going, I can keep moving my feet, kind of walk backwards and I'll stumble over something. And I've been, I've been around enough to, to think that the, whatever I stumble over is not a real accident. That the Earth Coincidence Control Office is gonna move me in the direction of, of where I need to go. I was just in a shopping mall the other day and I needed to find Aunt Chloe. And I just go, I need to find Aunt Chloe. And I just kept walking. And I did not look with my mind or anything. And then I looked up and she was right there in front of me. And so it, it's like there's these, there's these forces at work. But if you, if you stop moving your feet, then, it's, then, you're, then, you're, then you're not moving. And you have to be moving for the diagonal forces to come work, you know? For the, for the third force in physics to come working. Like a boomerang won't come back unless you throw it. But when the boomerang goes, it turns around and comes back. But it has to be spinning in that way. It's about just keep moving. I, I would like to, to share the finishing or a story about that, actually. Maybe it's the finishing story, but... Keep it 30 seconds and you got it. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, I remember Clinton had an emotional healing process with me like a few months ago and he was saying, yo man, look at your life. This is what you created. And I was at that time in a sharing group with people where I was really angry because there was no concept of radical responsibility in the group. And I was just like, okay, I'm just going to stop all that and, and leave the group. I'm, I don't know where I will go. And then I started doing online workshops with possibility management and was telling people about it. And then Oliver and um, started doing also a rage club. And then he told me actually, so I threw the boomerang in the universe. And then Oliver told me, Kian, actually there are a few people who want to do possibility management in Freiburg. And I was getting the boomerang back and suddenly we had a possibility team in Freiburg. People like six people in this, in a five, six people in a space together like, yeah, let's do possibility management work. And now they're coming to, to Portugal with me and we are in the expand the box uh, to tomorrow. We go there together and I'm really glad this is when, what happens when, when I throw a boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all for being Thank here. You. Thank you. Have a great Thank time. You. See a lot of you really soon. I'm glad about this. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.